Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. about when the Messiah was going to come and he was going to give us a new heart and establish a new covenant and it was all about reconciliation. It was all about judgment happening to the Messiah, him taking out the stumbling block, him removing the veil, him making us clean so that we could stand right before God. That's the good news. That's what we're to tell people. Look, Jesus has made it possible for you to be accepted by God because of what he did and he's not holding what you've done against you because of me. Amen? Amen. But it's a little trickier when it's family, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's kind of, it just comes out of nowhere. I did it this past week. You know, it just came out of nowhere. This something was kind of put in my face and it was like, oh yeah, well how about this? <laughs> So, and we made that commitment, right, going into Thanksgiving and going into Christmas, that whatever it takes, we're going to go into those situations with peace, and we're going to go into those situations realizing I'm representing Jesus. It's not necessarily your job to fix the family or get everybody, you know, cleaned up, but it is our responsibility to not hold other people's sins against them. And I think if we can just do that part, you know, maybe those people that we're involved with, that, that, that we still have either wounds or just hurts, or maybe you've moved on, but they continue to repeat their cycles, and you're still engaged in their lives, and it's, you know, it's easy to pick that stuff back up, but we have to remember, like he said, and several of us have been praying, you know, for this season, reconciliation. That's what we want, you know. That's what we want for our families. That's what we want for ourselves and for the world. Because God has revealed himself through the context of family. I mean, that's what he says. We're children. We're joint heirs. You know, he's no longer, we're no longer servants but friends. It's, it's this relationship. When Jesus described the Holy Spirit, it was all relational-focused ideas that, of how the Holy Spirit will be in your life. He'll tell you what the Father is saying. He'll remind you of what God has told you. He'll show you things to come. I mean, these are all relational things, right? I mean, he didn't say he's going to send you a new stone with some more rules to follow. It was he'll talk to you. He will lead you. He will guide you. So that and, and constantly pour out his grace from within our own spirits because he's bonded with us. You know, everything that you need is within you. It's just that we aren't intentional about trusting him. You know, we, we want to, I don't know what we want to do, but sometimes we just forget that there's grace and that it's our responsibility to access it by faith. And so then worry comes up. And, you know, I've just got a real simple message today. And it's really just centered about worry. And, and I just feel like, you know, I was, as I was studying, I just kind of heard this idea that if worry is present in your life, it's an indicator that you're just not trusting God in that area. <laughs> and my stomach said, amen. 
I think that's a first. That is the Holy Spirit with deep groanings <laughs> rising from the deep. <laughs> you know, worrying, worrying accomplishes nothing. And it makes everything worse. So why do we do it? How many of you had parents that worried? Okay, put your hands down. <laughs> don't, raise your, don't raise your hands on this part. How many of you go, oh my gosh, I am becoming my so-and-so. I can't believe I'm worrying like they are. You know. It just accomplishes nothing. Especially if it's somebody else's stuff that you're worrying about. You know, I mean, I, I understand we legitimately have people involved in our lives, and especially, you know, if you're in part of a larger group of people than just your own personal family. I mean, people are going through stuff, you know? Sarah and I constantly are just talking to people and praying and ministering, and your heart's broken for people, and you just want to help them. You just want, you just want to help people take those burdens <laughs> off, you know? But you can't let that go to worry, especially those of us that have kids that are going through stuff. I'm going to not look directly, but... Because it's so easy to worry about those kids. But let me tell you something. When you let yourself connect to worry more than what the promises of God say, I mean, you're bringing destruction into that person's <laughs> life. It's almost like a curse. You know, I'm not a big curse guy. I just think that those people need from us to not worry about them. What they need from us is to show them Jesus, to remind them of what God is saying, you know? I mean, we're not to be the Holy Spirit for other people because it is the Holy Spirit that reminds them what Jesus has said, what the Father has said, shows them things to come, tells them what the Father is saying. But a lot of times we get to echo that, right? We get to echo what they are already hearing in their own lives, and that's really what prophecy should be, is you confirm in someone's heart what God's already telling them. Not sending them on rabbit trails <laughs> or creating an... Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> um, but think about that, you know? What good does it do for that person for you to worry about them? It just does not help them. And in fact, it creates this thing in the relationship that when you get around people, how many of you get around negative people and you know that they're worriers and it's like, they might not even say anything, but you just feel it, you know? I don't mean you go to judgment. Like you start, well, I wonder what they're thinking. I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, no, I don't mean, I just mean, you know, there, there is this aspect of, you know, your heart actually gives off a signal. There is some truth to picking up on someone's vibe. I won't go into all that right now, but, uh, you know, you just get around people and you just feel like, oh, that person's probably a worrier. And it's doing no good for that situation. Let's just look at a couple of things here, Jesus says. This is Philippians 4 in verse 6. I'm going to read it out of the New Living because I like it better on this particular passage for today. 
But he says, Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. You know, sometimes I think that we forget that Jesus actually is God and that when he says something or when, they've, he, when the Holy Spirit led someone to write that down for the Bible, that we forget that it's God's words. This is what God says. You know? And so what we do is we consider it and we choose whether or not we're going to believe it or whether or not we're going to apply that principle to our lives rather than saying, he's a whole lot smarter than me. I'm just going to do what he says. I think you know, this world would look a lot different if we just get rid of our opinions and just do what the Word says. You know, it doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't make God love you more. It doesn't qualify you more for blessing because you are righteous in Christ. But it puts your mind in the right mindset in harmony and in agreement with God so that you're hearing the Holy Spirit echo through you what God would say to you. You know, you've got God in you constantly reminding you from your spirit who you are and what He said we just have to get the outside to line up, and that's our responsibility. It's not God's responsibility to show up in your life and do something to convince you that His Word is true. In fact, a lot of times you won't connect to a promise until you're in agreement with it. I mean, this heart is directly, the condition of our heart is directly related to the degree of God that we're experiencing. You know, we talk about that all the time in here. But in Philippians 4, 6, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And, and don't pray one of those worry-filled prayers. <laughs> well, what is that? Well, you know. You know what it is. And, and I don't want to cause you to analyze yourself too much or try to go too deep with this, but make sure that you're in faith before you pray. You know, a lot of times we start praying and we just need to zip it and connect to God's love for us, reach that place of peace, and then pray. Then pray out of that connection rather than... Because when you pray out of worry, it's like your words are trying to go out here and try to find God and get Him to come here and show up for you. But when you pray out of faith, when you've let the worry go... You're already established in grace. You're already established in what you know the truth and the Word of God to be because it's resonating within you. Then you let that out. That's what changes things. That's walking in faith. So, I, I mean, I'm telling you, make, make that adjustment before you ever pray any more about anything again in your entire life. <laughs> Connect to peace first, you know? Why are you praying? Are you just opening your mouth and just kind of rambling on? Or are you actually praying the Word of God? Are you holding on to a promise? Are you speaking what He would speak? Now, I'm not saying you've got to figure out how to operate some gift and speak out of that. Because that stuff actually, we, we all operate in the gifts. You do it all the time. You just don't know it. I'm telling you, you do. You do it all the time. You guys speak what the Holy Spirit is saying to other people out of your own mouths all the time. And it doesn't have to be where a miracle happens or a red bird flies by and that means something to them or all the stuff that we kind of look for. Just trust that, you know what, I've been made one with God. 
if I speak the truth, if I speak out of love, that's God. I mean, we've just made it too complicated to follow God. We've made it too mystical to try to operate in the gifts. And I'm telling you, man, you do it all the time. Where's Adam? I can hear him singing that song. Adam has rubbed off on me. When you hear certain words, you just hear a song, follow it. So don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. I'm telling you, that is huge. Then you'll experience God's peace. It doesn't just mean tell him what you need. You know, we're good at that part. But do you also follow up your prayer with thanking him for what he's already done? You know, I'll just finish this. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ. And this is kind of an action thing here. So the process here is God knows what you need before you pray, right? I mean, I'm about to read that in in, uh, Matthew 6, but in another place, I'm going to look at the Luke 12 version of that today. He already knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what you need to, you know, make it through that situation. He knows exactly where you need to go to get the right job opportunity. He knows everything. He's God. He's omnipresent. He's very observant, and he cares about you, and he will lead you into truth. So we don't have to try to convince God of what we need. He's not moved by lack. He's already made all the promises available. All his promises are yes and amen, and they're established already. And anything, he says, uh, all things are possible to him who believes. So, you know, and and I, I probably talk about this a lot, but the Christian world needs a brain transplant of how to live with God in thinking that we've got to try to somehow find out what he's doing out there and then get him to do some of that with us and how do I connect and what's going on? You know, I mean, we just, like God's out there. If you're looking for God out there in any of your problems, you're looking in the wrong place. It starts in here. You don't need God to show up out there. If you can connect with God in here and live from that, out here will change. It just will. Because we have authority and dominion in this earth and we walk in the power of God. So, but here's the process here. When you have a need or when something's causing you to worry, pray. But, you know, don't just pray out of worry. Start from thankfulness. You know, he kind of ends with thank God for what he's done. But when's the last time you started with thanking God? Now, you may do this. I'm not trying to beat you up. This is probably how a lot of us pray especially those of us that are convinced that, you know, God loves us no matter what. He's not taking notes anymore. That stuff's gone in Jesus. But do you start with thanking or do you start with the need? Do you start from the place of thankfulness or do you start from the place of lack? You know, where, where does your conversation start with God? If it starts with thankfulness, it'll cause peace. It says right here, peace will guard your heart as you live in Christ. What does that mean? You know, the peace of God is something that we have. He's removed the barrier between us and him. We are at peace with him. There's nothing that separates you from the love of God, not even your sin. Does that mean it's okay to sin? 
No. But it doesn't make you love God love you any less. But if our heart is guarded with peace, it's the perfect environment to live out the things of God and to experience the blessings that He's already given us. Because we know that it's with the heart that man believes, that out of the heart flow all the issues of life. Guard your heart above all else, it says. I mean, the heart is so key to this Christian walk. You know, even Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. You know, He's in our spirit, but it's up to us to, by faith, trust Him so that He dwells in our hearts and it is of some benefit in our lives. You know, this, this thing of he's just doing what he wants to in your life. I mean, it's not going to go into the sovereignty question right now, but us opening our hearts and engaging him and making sure that our heart is at peace, it's just where you have to start from and start from the place of thankfulness. All right, let's go over to Luke 12, and we'll see what Jesus says. These are red letters, so it's impotent. Luke 12 I'm going to read out of the NIV. This is also in Matthew 6. If you want to go back to, um, you know, study this out yourself, look in, look in Matthew 6. And Matthew 6 is where he talks about that God knows what you need before you ever even ask. And then he goes into this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Okay. Well, I mean, what if we just took that principle and did that? Hey, don't worry about your life. Jesus said that. Okay, yeah, but I got this going on. Okay, well, then you don't, you're not doing what he said. How's that working out for you? Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, about your body, what you're going to wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Do you see what he did there? He ties God's willingness to provide for you to your value to God. Not your Christian service, not how well you've loved your other brother, not how you've kept the list of rules or prayed the right way or got the right person to lay hands on you or gone to the right church so that you got the right covering or whatever. He ties his willingness to provide for you to his value for you. But do you know that you're valuable to God? I mean, that's really the question. A lot of the world doesn't know that. A lot of the world thinks that, well, I'll go to God when I get cleaned up and then that will maybe convince him to maybe do something for me. You know, I mean, we've got all kinds of structures built up in our minds of what we think it takes to receive from God. And Jesus flips it all around and says, he wants to provide for you because you're valuable to him. Amen. Can you rest in that? Can you take that, be thankful for that, let that establish a sense of peace in your heart and then pray out of that? Because he already knows what you need. So, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, then why do you worry about the rest? <laughs> he was like, I think that's Jesus' way of saying, how's that working for you? Copy? 
how's worrying helping you? And how's that working for you? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, then why? Then why do it? You know, he's very practical. Why do it? It's not helping you. Why are you doing it? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, gone tomorrow, thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You have a little faith. And don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Or another version says these things will be added to you. You know, seek his kingdom. Another version says uh, seek his righteousness and everything will be added to you. Well, how are you, how are you made righteous? By faith. By grace through faith. You know, it's not something that you do. You can't earn it. The law was never even meant for righteousness. Even if you kept the law perfectly, that would not make you righteous before God. That was the process of sanctification under the law. But now Jesus is our sanctification. Not throwing the law away, just putting it in its right place. So I, this is what I want to kind of drill down on today is this seeking God thing, seeking the kingdom specifically. You know, I asked God for a modern-day parable. Jesus made stuff up, you know. It's like he talked about wheat and stuff. <laughs> I thought about, what does that look like for us today? You know, how do we seek the kingdom today? And I, I got a picture of car keys. It's like, oh, that kind of makes sense, you know. When you lose your car keys and you know they're in your house, do you wonder if they're in your house or do you just keep looking for those things until you find them? In fact, that's your mission. You can't go anywhere else until you find your car keys. Now, are they there to be found? How many times have you done it before? You look for them, and you look for them, and you look for them, and you're like, oh, I thought I put those things here, and then they're there, and then you think, why did I put them there? I think that's what we do with the kingdom. The kingdom is not somewhere where you ha you're wondering if it's there or not. You know it's there. I think we just don't seek until we find. I think we seek wondering if we're going to find because we don't know that God completely loves us. We don't know that he's fully already provided everything for us. And it's not that he's waiting for you to perform some task before he will give it to you, but it's spiritual. Everything that he has for you is spiritual, and everything that is spiritual accesses this realm by grace through faith. So again, it goes back to that thing of faith. Are you in worry or are you in faith? when you're looking for those car keys, when you're looking for the kingdom, you know? Are you convinced that you will see the promise manifest in your life? Whatever it is. Or does it get in the way of the last time you tried and you didn't see it happen or the other person's life that you're judging yourself against and that what they have or people in another country and all the lack over there and you somehow excuse the word of God for yourself because look they're all look at the condition of their lives and all the stuff that we do what if you were just on the island on an island by yourself and you had the Bible I mean, what would that look like 
You didn't have anything to compare anything to except just the Word of God in red, black, and white, and you read it, and then the only thing that was there was to make a decision, do I believe this or do I not believe this? Because here's what he says about the kingdom. He says, I've delivered you from the power of darkness, and I've translated you into the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus shows up and he says, they were asking him, well, where's your kingdom? If you're a king, where's your kingdom? He says, look, my kingdom is not where you're going to go down and look for it and bring it up or somebody's going to go up and bring it down. The word is in you. The kingdom of heaven is within. It's a spiritual kingdom that is unlimited beyond anything we can possibly imagine. And we access that by grace through faith but not when you're worrying. When you're worrying, you're focused on this realm. You might slip up and experience a promise. I mean, you might stumble and fall into one. Oh, how'd that happen? And then maybe somehow think that, okay, well, I did this, so I've got this now. But no. Let's look at this word, seek. The word seek here is a Greek word, zeteo, and it's a verb, it's an action, and it's a, it means to seek in order to find. It doesn't mean you just, you know, I wonder where that kingdom is. Well, maybe I'll look for it tomorrow. You know, seek the kingdom. Seek in order to find. Do you expect to literally find and see the promises of God in your life when you start praying? I'm t- you know, I'll repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> So, (laughs) (laughs) to seek a thing. To seek in order to find out by thinking, meditating, reasoning, to inquire into, to seek after, strive after. Now, listen to this one. This is the second definition. All those were parts of the first definition. This is what Jesus is telling us to do in regard to the kingdom of which we've already been translated into and is within us now. This is what we're to do. This word seek means to require or demand. Demand something from someone. Now, don't get weird with that because, you know, especially us charismatics, we get weird with stuff. <laughs> any, any, anything that you've seen in a religious environment where it looks like, I think I'm going to try that to see if it produces something in my life, just forget it. Just just set it aside and don't judge it, don't devalue it, but don't put yourself on that treadmill where you think that you've got to repeat something that somebody else is doing to fit the mold to get God to show up for you or to get more anointing or whatever it is that we think that we got to do. You connect with God in your heart, but be confident and established in He wants it for you already. He already knows what you need. So it doesn't just mean you're walking around going, oh, I 
wonder, I wonder if this is what God wants for me. I wonder if he wants me healed. I wonder if he wants me in lack. I wonder if he wants me, you know, feeling good about me and him. All the stuff that we received as a benefit of the cross, it's yours now. And he wants it for you right now. You don't ever have to second guess God's will toward you because he has good plans for you and he's not seeking your destruction and he's not seeking to make your life difficult and he's not the author of confusion. And he says that when you're tempted or tested, don't say that it's God. And just remove religion out of the way. Realize your God loves you, wants the best for you. Now, are you going to walk until you see that manifestation? And back on the worrying thing, you know, it's pointless to worry about other people. But if that manifestation, that connection to that promise involves somebody else as well, you can't go and do their part. And you can't start asking God, God, change them so I can have what I want. You can pray for them. You can show them love. But you know how people's hearts change is they have their own relationship with God. You immerse them and baptize them in God's love for them if you want any hope. But to sit back and think that you're praying for restoration for somebody as if God's going to show up and do it and sovereignly override that person's heart, man, I'm telling you, that kind of prayer has damaged a lot of people. And it's created a wedge between a lot of people and God. And, and you know, now you, if, God, if God puts it in you and you are to declare and proclaim restoration over someone, then you do that. But we also need to point people in the direction of, look, if you really seriously want reconciliation in this situation, God is the author. He is the creator. He knows how to make things happen. And the way God caused you to fall in love with him was didn't hold your sins against you and drew you to himself in Christ. And now look what happened. That's the only way. Love is the only way. So it doesn't mean to just walk around or look around or wonder if it's going to happen. Seek until you find. Seek with the intention of finding. Well, how do I do that? Well, you know what? I'm not a pastor that gives you lists of this is what you do, seven steps to get what God has already given you. I want to inspire you to seek him, inspire you to trust him. What does it look like for your own life? Seek God, seek the kingdom of God in your area of worry like you're looking for your lost car keys. You know that they're there. You know that you're going to find them. You're going to keep looking until you do, and you're not going to give up. Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 7, this is Jesus again. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is your homework. Go and read these two scriptures. This is Matthew 7, 7 and 8. And read these passages. And get a sheet of paper and a pen or your iPod or your laptop or whatever you take notes on. And read that. And then write down your thoughts. 
It might look like this. Ask and it will be given to you. Well, I've tried that. I did that before. Okay. Knock and the door will be opened. Okay, well, which door do I knock on? Record your thoughts. Seriously, look at all the excuses and all the stuff that comes up that you put between the words of Jesus and yourself. Become aware of it and then throw it away. I mean, seriously, there should be no excuse. There should be nothing that separates our minds and our hearts from just looking at the word and believing what it says. Throw it away. Whatever excuse, whatever issue comes up, whatever past, you know, whatever TV show, I don't know, whatever it is that rises up. There's a battery right back there. I think we're losing battery. Actually, I'm just going to switch to this because this battery's going dead. I'm almost done. So Matthew 7, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, this, this verb here, again, is used in seeks, and it's the perfect tense, uh, perfect or imperfect Greek tense. The imperfect Greek tense of a word does this. It, it paints a vivid picture of an action. It's literally like a motion picture that's in continual motion. It says, paints a vivid picture of an action as one which happens over and over. So the picture that he's given us here is ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And then you'll find. Did he not say... That if you seek, you will find. Are you going to believe it? That's the question. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to take Jesus at his word and seek until we find? You know, he could have just made this the past tense where it was seek once. And if it doesn't show up, go do something else in your own strength. That's what we do. And I'm, and, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to create a, a, a sense of false responsibility or a sense of effort that's not actually what God is requiring of you. Because, see, we live in this paradox. We live in this paradox of we've been made one with God and all his promises are yes and amen. But we're to rest and abide in Jesus. But we're to labor to enter into the rest. Well, the rest, the labor that we're to do to enter into that rest is faith. And when we're in faith, it accesses grace and grace comes alive and accomplishes all of those things that God has promised us. Independent from you accomplishing them. So it's like this paradox, right? And, and, if you don't, if you, if you ever felt, find yourself, found yourself in the middle of that paradox, it's like, okay, what's my part? What's God's part? Our part is faith. His part is grace. And there's more grace than you'll ever need, especially in the face of sin. There's more grace than the power of sin in your life. 
You know, the, the reason we need to stay out of sin is because it messes with our minds and it robs our faith and it takes our confidence and it puts us in a position where we don't feel like we're worthy to go to God. But you are. In fact, even in the middle of your sin, that's when you need to run to God. Don't run away from Him. Doesn't excuse it, doesn't give license to it. It's not permissiveness. It's just, you know what? There's something bigger and stronger than this thing that I'm dealing with right now, and it is found before the throne of God. Pick an area. Pick an area where you've given up hope. We don't normally focus on negative things. But let's use this as an exercise, even through the holidays, to continue to seek, to stand on what we know God wants for us and continue to knock until we see that manifestation. If that's your commitment, just, just kind of acknowledge that. Let's, let's pray. Let's put it before the Father. Jesus, we don't know how everything works. Try to figure out how it work. We just know what your word says. And you said, seek and you'll find. And we take that seriously. So I commit right now in this particular area, and I, you know, and you have to make sure that you're in faith and not in your own strength, that you're trusting in his grace and not in your own effort, that you're not worrying about it or taking on some religious kind of pressure that as if you have to believe something because that's what the pastor said to do, if you start feeling that pressure, let it go. Just let it go. Just put yourself at a place of peace with God and trust him. Keep moving forward and keep knocking, whatever it is. There's always hope to trust God. See, because here's, here's the truth. It's already a reality spiritually. It's already a reality in heaven. And which is the greater reality? Which one's more real? And it's not like that it, heaven is way out there and we got to try to figure out how to get it here. No, it's how can we experience it in the midst of what we're experiencing here until it changes. Can you trust God and believe God in faith until you see that thing change? Father, we thank you for the grace. We thank you that you've given us the gift of faith that we can stand on, that we can walk in. We thank you that you've given us your word. And all of us in this room, we make the commitment to value your word, to put your word above our capacity to reason. We put your word and your truth and your promises above our circumstances. But we rest in that. We put your love for us above difficulty and we don't blame you for it. We thank you for that peace. As we go into this Thanksgiving season, we just recommit to be thankful, to model to others what thankfulness looks like. And not just for the stuff that we have, but for the people that are in our lives. Even the people that we're having difficulty with right now, help us to see reasons to be thankful for them. 
Help us to be those ambassadors, to not hold their sin or their trespasses against them, but to have gratitude toward them, to be open, to love them so that they can experience your love.